from WNYC in New York. It's America, Are We Ready? Our Thursday night national call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. This is day 37. Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. And tonight, it's America, Are We Finally Ready for Bipartisan Comprehensive Immigration Reform? After the news, we'll play some history clips that may surprise you, including of President Reagan in 1986 and President Bush in 2007. We'll talk to the lead sponsor of the new bill in the House, Linda Sanchez from California, and we'll take your calls. If you're a Democrat or Republican, immigrant or native-born, here legally or not at the moment, is it time to resolve this issue once and for all? America, are we ready? From WNYC in New York, it's America. Are we ready? A Thursday night national call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. Today's day 37, or one month and one week in. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. And our main question this hour is, America, are we finally ready for bipartisan, comprehensive immigration reform? We also have some breaking news from the House of Representatives this afternoon. They passed a bill called the Equality Act, which would ban discrimination in housing and in education against LGBTQ Americans. Now it goes to the Senate, where its prospects are uncertain, but the Supreme Court could become an interesting player on this, too. We'll explain. We'll open the phones in a few minutes on immigration. But we'll do a short interview first with Democratic Congresswoman Linda Sanchez of California, representing parts of Los Angeles and Orange Counties. She is the lead sponsor in the House of the Democrats' immigration reform bill. Congresswoman Sanchez, so good of you to join us tonight. Welcome to America. Are we ready? Yeah, great to be with you. I'm excited. And first, briefly, on the Equality Act, looks like you only got three Republicans in the House. You'll need 10 in the Senate. Think there's any way that many are ready to say people can't deny housing to lesbian and gay and trans people based on the landlord's religious beliefs? Well, one would certainly hope in this day and age that we could get those votes in the Senate. Whether we will, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I always remain guardedly optimistic that uh, people are more motivated by uh, Democratic ideas than by their own hate. And as you know, the Supreme Court ruled last year that the protections against sex discrimination in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 also apply to protecting LGBTQ Americans from employment discrimination. The court took sex discrimination to also mean sexual orientation and gender identity. Is there any reason to think the court wouldn't also apply that to housing and education if the Senate won't? Um, well, we have a little bit different constitution to the to, uh, composition, pardon me, of the Supreme Court these days. So, again, one would hope, but um, you're never quite sure until that question is actually put to them. Yeah. And that was to give the LGBTQ side on that some hope at the Supreme Court. That was six to three with Gorsuch joining the others in favor. So they could potentially, if it lines up the same way, uh, have five to four. But all right, on to our main topic for this hour. America, are we finally ready for bipartisan comprehensive immigration reform? Um, something a Democratic Congress and a Republican president agreed to 
Once upon a time, who remembers this? This bill, the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986 that I'll sign in a few minutes, is the most comprehensive reform of our immigration laws since 1952. It's the product of one of the longest and most difficult legislative undertakings in the last three Congresses. Further, it's an excellent example of a truly successful bipartisan effort. President Ronald Reagan there, of course. Congresswoman Sanchez, the deal in 1986 was more or less a path to citizenship for millions of undocumented immigrants in the country at that time in exchange for what was supposed to be tougher border security and workplace enforcement to prevent another big wave. Can we have that again in 2021? I um, am opti very optimistic that it is the right moment to get this accomplished and to fix our broken immigration system once and for all. One of the Republicans' big complaints after 1986, as you know, was that the Reagan deal didn't work. That's why we have the estimated 11 million undocumented people here today, they say. So the border and workplace enforcement would have to be better than it was after 1986. If that's a fair point, does the bill you're sponsoring have those kinds of teeth? Republicans in Congress are already saying, no, it does not. Some of them are saying that. So try to convince our listeners that it does. Sure. Well, I will just start by saying that, you know, um, many of my Republican colleagues make these specious arguments that really aren't based in fact. And um, the issue is that we have not really fundamentally addressed the underlying reasons of why people come north, why they migrate north. Back in the 80s, um, which I was in high school at that time, um, many of the migrants were just economic I, uh, migrants that were coming for a few years to work and um, save some money, help their families back in their home countries, and they intended to return. Many of them, you know, uh, ultimately put down roots here and stayed. And the and the immigration reform back then allowed them to do that. But we are seeing a wholly different type of immigration now. We are seeing unaccompanied minors. We're seeing people fleeing violence and um, and corruption and hunger. And this bill that is um, Biden's vision for how we can reform our immigration system and make it uh, common sense and, and, and use things that work. One of the novel approaches is to try to get at the root causes that force people to make that dangerous journey north and wind up on our southern border. So there is a um, chapter in this bill which uh, seeks to help countries in Central America, which is where most of these migrants are coming from, help them address head on the violence and the hunger and the corruption. And there, um, you know, that is by international cooperation and also leveraging private investment. Uh, and it would help these countries restore rule of law and um, strengthen their democracy so that you don't see those continuous waves of migrants that are, you know, fleeing their home countries and and, and coming north seeking asylum because they're, they're looking for safety and security. If you're going for long-term structural and economic reform in multiple Central American nations, how long with that will that take? Because I, I see there's also the announcement from the Biden administration just this week that they're reopening one or more temporary migrant holding facilities because more unaccompanied minors are coming to the border since Biden took office, and Republicans are already saying, we told you so. 
Yeah, well, it's um, you have to understand that many of the cruel and um, chaotic policies of the last four years of the Trump administration um, has created a system that is wholly unworkable. I mean, our immigration system is broken from top to bottom. And we need a reform that will create a safe and legal path to citizenship to those that are seeking asylum in the United States. And 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 this vision is included in this bill. And I, I will say one of the pieces of the of the strategy is also to allow migrants who want to flee and seek asylum to allow them to apply for that in their country so that they don't have to make that dangerous journey north and camp out on our borders and then start the process and wait to hear. They can actually do what is called in-country processing. So that's just one of the structural changes that this bill hopes to make. Um, But there are sweeping reforms that get at many of the bottleneck and choke points in our immigration system that quite frankly, you know, keep families apart for years or decades at a time and only encourage them um, to try to use the back door when there's no uh, logical reason why they should have to wait that long to be reunited. This bill overall seeks to restore humanity. It seeks to manage our border in a smarter and more efficient way. And it seeks to help our economy. And we can do all of those, those things in this bill. President Trump, of course, wanted his wall along the whole Mexican border. Would a possible deal be to say yes to a wall if that's what will really stop unauthorized crossings and kind of force people to apply in their home countries for asylum and really put the Republicans on the spot that way at the same time to get them to say yes to a path to citizenship for the people already here? I will tell you that, uh, you know, a fixation on a wall or a barrier is, you know, a false sense of security because it, it, it will not work. It hasn't worked. I mean, you look at the you know, the strictest policies that were just implemented over the last four years, and it didn't fix the problem because there's a structural problem with our immigration system. A wall is simply a medieval solution to a modern day problem. So the Biden bill, um, instead of obsessing on barriers, uh, seeks to use technology um, and infrastructure improvements at all our points, our ports of entry to try to crack down on bad actors and to try to facilitate legal um, commerce between our two countries. Uh, and, you know, overall, the structural fixes to our system hopefully will weed out um, that need to, you know, come across the border. And, and if we can do that, um, you know, we can save money because we're using, you know, technology and we're doing things in a smarter way. We, we spend more at our southern border um, than we do in all of our federal law enforcement agencies combined. Um, so it's not a question of throwing more resources at it or, or building a bigger wall or a thicker wall. That's not going to fix the problem. Uh, investing in smart technology to help us manage that border and in professional training um, for our Border Patrol agents, um, that is what is going to help us manage the flow. How do you convince 10 Senate Republicans of that? Well, that's where, you know, the American public have a role to play. There is broad support among, you know, businesses, um, faith-based organizations, immigrant rights groups, and the American people, quite frankly, after having seen the terrible immigration policies, a vast majority of Americans agree we need to overhaul our immigration system. The status quo doesn't work. 
Um, and so people can raise their voice and make their wishes known. Um, you know, senators respond to their constituents and, you know, they need to hear from their constituents that this is the right thing to do. And by the way, not for nothing, um, but if we were to pass a legalization bill, we would uh, improve our economy to the tune of trillions of dollars a year and reduce our deficit. Uh, you ask any economist worth their salt and they will tell you that legalization will actually um, help us in our economic recovery from COVID. So, you know, there are great economic reasons, there are great humanitarian reasons, there are great security reasons to support this bill. And senators need to hear that from their constituents. I know there are many other provisions in the comprehensive immigration package that we haven't touched on. And we're gonna talk about some of those with our next guest, who used to be a senior advisor to Kamala Harris. Uh, but in our last 20 seconds, is there any one single other provision that you want to shout out real quick? I, I would just say that the ability to provide relief for families who have been separated, some of them for decades, and they're doing all the right things and they're working hard, they're contributing to our economy. Many of them are essential workers um, who keep our economy running in the worst pandemic we've seen in a hundred years. You know, the old lie that, you know, on the one hand, we're calling them essential workers, and then the old lie that and Republicans— that has to be the last word. I apologize, but we're up against the clock. Congresswoman sure. Linda Sanchez of California, lead sponsor in the House of the Biden immigration reform. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. It's America, Are We Ready? Our Thursday night national call-in series for the first hundred days of the Biden presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer. You heard Congresswoman Sanchez. Now we'll open up the phones on the question, America, are we ready for bipartisan, comprehensive immigration reform? If you vote Republican for Congress, are you ready to allow your Republican elected officials to make a compromise on this without penalizing them in a primary? If you vote Democratic and support the idea in the first place, do you think this is the plan that can get 10 Republicans to yes in the Senate? And finally, move on. Our call-in number is 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. If you're a Democrat or a Republican, immigrant or native-born, here legally or not at the moment, our lines are open for you at 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. I'll just give you fair warning on one thing, folks. We do want to make room for people from around the country. So if we happen to get too many calls from any single area, we're going to bump some of you to make room. No offense. We ask your understanding on that. So weigh in from wherever at 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. And as your calls are coming in, We'll meet our guest for the rest of the hour, an advocate who has close ties to the administration. He is Sergio Gonzalez, executive director of the Immigration Hub, a group of former congressional staffers and others who focus on this issue. And how close are his ties to the administration? Well, he was senior advisor to Kamala Harris when she was in the Senate before, of course, becoming vice president. Sergio, thanks a lot for coming on. Welcome to America. Are we ready? Thank you so much, Brian. It's great to be here. We played the clip earlier of President Reagan in 1986 signing the bipartisan immigration reform of that era, 
which have the same basic outline, more border security for a path to citizenship for people already here. But here's how it ended in 2007 after President Bush tried to do a similar thing. I thank the members of the Senate and uh, members of my administration who worked so hard on the border security and immigration reform bill. I'm sorry the Senate was unable to reach agreement on the bill this morning. Legal immigration is one of the top concerns of the American people, and Congress's failure to act on it is a disappointment. American people understand the status quo is unacceptable when it comes to our immigration laws. A lot of us worked hard to see if we couldn't find common ground. It, it didn't work. It didn't work. A disappointed President George W. Bush in June of 2007, I believe that was. And mm -hmm. since then, the politics have only probably gotten harder. Rejecting comprehensive immigration reform was arguably the main thing that got Donald Trump elected president. So Sergio, as someone who served as senior advisor to Kamala Harris, you know how tough this is politically. How do you get the necessary 10 Republican senators to yes and not just wind up feeling like you have a moral high ground failure? Right. Well, I, I guess I would like to talk about that a little bit. Um, I think it's really fitting that you brought up uh, Ronald Reagan and the Immigration Reform and Control Act, which was the last major reform effort that was passed um, in 1986. It's been 35 years since the passage of that bill. Um, we've had over six presidents. We've had 7 million deportations and more than $333 billion spent on enforcement. Um, and so this is all to say that um, this has had calamitous consequences for immigrant communities, but also from such a broader array of stakeholders across the country who depend on immigration and depend on immigrants. Um, this includes the business community, this includes uh, the uh, agriculture. This includes the faith community. Um, immigrants have always been very much a part of the American story and diaspora. And um, unfortunately, we've seen in the last years, the Republican Party, and especially under Donald Trump, really weaponize the issue more for politics than anything else, using it as a political uh, wedge issue. And unfortunately, bringing out some of the worst, what I would say, elements of our society, xenophobia and racism. And so um, there is a question of will Republicans come to the table in good faith to pass immigration reform? Um, and I would say as somebody who has worked on this issue for quite a long time, as you mentioned, I work for Senator Kamala Harris. Um, when she was in the Senate during the Trump administration. I also worked for Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado during the last major reform effort in 2013. And um, 68 senators voted for the comprehensive bill that passed out of the Senate in 2013. But um, John Boehner never brought that bill um, to the uh, House for a vote. And so it died, um, just as reform died uh, in 2007 under George W. Bush. And so the onus is clearly on Republicans to come to the table. Are they going to bend to what I would say uh, is the more right-wing, Trumpist, xenophobic wing of their party? Or 
are they going to listen to the more rational voices, the center and center right voices, which include, like I said, the business community, law enforcement, uh, the faith community. Um, there's a number of stakeholders um, who are Republican and who are independents that want to see this done. Let's take our first phone call. Rodolfo in Minneapolis, but grew up along the Texas border. Rodolfo, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi there. Rodolfo, can you hear me? Uh, Oh, sorry. I apologize, everybody. Can we hear you? Can you hear us, Rodolfo? No, that, that, that comes with prize, right? I think Rodolfo's doing some business there. People got to work. Let's try Rom in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Rom, you're on America. Are we ready? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? We can hear you just fine. Glad you're on. Hey, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. So I just wanted to, um, I'm, I, I lean Democrat, and I am an immigrant uh, legal. So uh, I think that my concern is from a political perspective. So this is not the right time to be doing this kind of immigration reform for the Democrats, because it would be very easy for the Republicans to just turn around and say, look, the country is in crisis, we're in this pandemic, the economy is in shambles, and look at all the goodies they're giving out to illegal immigrants and uh, all the, you know, uh, uh, even benefits and things like that, right? So I think that politically it would be really bad for the Democrats to do it at this time. I mean, they have two years of control over the White House and and, uh, the Senate and the House. So they can wait for six months or a year till the pandemic passes and the economy improves and then do it. I really think that they will get severely affected in the midterms if this goes through. Ram, thank you very much. And Sergio, what do you say? We certainly are hearing that argument from Republicans, not now because of the pandemic unemployment rates. The last thing we need is a bigger labor force. First of all, um, it's not surprising that they're again trying to use immigration as a wedge issue. And I would just argue that um, this will happen no matter what. No matter what time period we are in, Republicans keep saying it's not the right time for reform. And I would argue because of the COVID pandemic, it is the exact right time that we need to get reform done for a few reasons. Number one, there are five million undocumented essential workers who are working in frontline positions helping to keep the country go during the pandemic. This include doctors and nurses, caregivers, grocery store workers, retailers, cleaners. Um, Three out of four undocumented workers are essential right now. And so these are people who are putting their lives at risk to sacrifice for the country and to make sure that we can keep the levers of our country and our economy going. So I would argue that there is a moral imperative to make sure that these people are um, provided a path to citizenship, but also there is an economic imperative here. There was a recent um, estimate by a number of economists who put out a letter that said granting citizenship to undocumented immigrants would generate an increase in GDP ranging from $832 billion 
to $1.4 trillion over 10 years. We know that immigrants are doing jobs that are incredibly important to the economy and also many jobs that cannot be filled by the American labor force. This includes people who are making sure that they put food on our table, agricultural workers, farm workers. And you know, as we all know and we can all relate to, um, you know, this has been an extremely, an extraordinary difficult time um, for the country and for our families. And so we've relied on being able to get food delivered to us, go to the grocery store and, and still be able to put food on our tables. And immigrants have literally been on the front lines, putting themselves at risk, at risk of COVID, without aid, without assistance to make sure that happens. So I would say there's not only a moral imperative on this issue, there is an economic imperative. Ensuring that immigrant essential workers have a pathway to citizenship is part of economic recovery. You know, and listeners, this may surprise you, um, you might have an ally on the economics of this in the Senate that a lot of people who haven't followed his career um, might find surprising. Senator Lindsey Graham, listen to what he said a couple of years ago about the labor force and immigration. I'm a proud conservative Republican, but you gotta find a way to move the country forward as a whole, immigration. We've been yelling about this thing. Amnesty is doing nothing. You're not gonna deport 11 million illegal immigrants because there are two million in the agricultural business. If you took every illegal immigrant out of agriculture, we'd all be paying twice what we pay for food. So be practical, make it a win-win. Take somebody who broke the law, make them get right with the law, then make them valuable to the country. That, to me, is a win-win. So it sounds, at least potentially, like Lindsey Graham is for comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, but that argument that he made there, take all the illegal, as he called them, immigrants out of agriculture, and we're going to pay a lot more for our food. Does that cut both ways? Because on the one hand, let's assume that's true. On the other hand, um, that's arguing for low wages for agricultural workers, for essential workers in America. Yeah, Brian. So what I would just say to that is when I worked for Senator Bennett, um, you know, he he's the senator from Colorado, which has um, a very large agricultural economy. So does California, for that matter, when I worked for Senator Harris. And we would meet with farmers who would um, who really struggled to find labor. And um, there were we met with a peach farmer actually uh, on the on the um, in the western slope of Colorado, and he was not able to he he had he had trouble filling his um, uh, to have enough workers for um, harvest season, and so he actually like in he tripled his wages and was still a, unable to recruit American workers. And there have been studies that have been done on this, um, where uh, there have been farmers who serious who seriously increased wages, who you know made a lot of attempts to recruit local American workers and were unable to do so, or American workers uh, would um, would uh, would apply, would be hired, and then quit after a week. Um, and so this is all to say that. You know, this is certainly a, an area where there is a robust immigrant workforce and that we need them to be able to do these jobs. And what I would also say is true at the same time is these and I'll, I'll just end here is that these immigrant workers should be paid more. 
I mean, it's our, it, we believe that, that they're also paid uh, way, uh, the, the wages and the working conditions are not strong enough and that they need to be improved. Marco Julian in Maysville, Ohio. You're on America. Are we ready? Hello, Marco Julian. Hey, can you hear me? Can hear just fine. Hi. Hi. Uh, so I, I, I do kind of agree with the previous caller stating that it's a timing issue. Uh, to bring up this because there are uh, some midterm coming up. But regardless, my point is actually bigger than this. Um, wh- why are the Democrats always a nice one? Uh, for We have seen the Republican for the last 12 years. They're literally just going for the jugular. They don't care. They they pass any legislation they want. And now when the Democrats... <clears throat> sorry. Now when the Democrats are trying to pass a legislation that actually is good for the American people and is good for the economy and is good for the immigrants because there is no other option. You have 11 million. What are you going to do? Deport all of them? It, it's not going to add up. It's it's fiscally not responsible to do so. So I, I don't understand what, what the, do the Republicans want to do. And why are always a nice one, the, the Democrats are always a nice one? It, it just doesn't add up. They just need to grow a bone. Marco Julian, thank you for your call. So if you agree with him, in general, the Democrats are always the nice ones and the Republicans are always playing hardball and therefore they win more. Um, How do you play hardball on this? You need to get 10 Republicans in the Senate to vote yes. How do you play hardball if you agree with his premise in a way that the Democrats haven't done before? That is a great question. Thank you, Marco. Um, So a few things here. One is there needs to be immense pressure on Republicans to get this done and to not bend to the Stephen Miller, Donald Trump wing of their party, which is very, very, you know, which, which to be honest, is very challenging. Um, We know that Stephen Miller, who was just for, for people's awareness, he was um, Donald Trump's, President Trump's uh, aide on immigration, also very well-documented ties to white supremacist organizations just for background. Um, he has been talking with the Republican, members of the Republican caucus of, the, of Congress this week. You know, we know that Donald Trump is gonna be speaking at CPAC um, soon. And so there still really is this strangled hold of unfortunately, um, Trumpian politics on immigration in this caucus. But we know that, as I said before, there is a lot of support from immigration and not just from progressive constituencies, but from other constituencies as well. And also, there is broad public support for immigration. Um, It is really an incorrect notion to think that voters don't support immigrants and don't support pro-immigrant policies. And this is something that my organization has done a lot of research on. In fact, in a recent poll that we did, um, there 60 to 33% of voters continue to overwhelmingly support a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Nearly one in three voters say that creating a pathway to citizenship is their top policy priority for addressing the issue of immigration. 75% of Americans, including 57% of Republicans say all undocumented immigrants, not just dreamers, should be allowed to stay in the country legally. Um, and so 
this is something where there is actually a lot of political support and uh, and there needs to be immense pressure on Republicans politically to get to get this done. We will continue in a minute with Sergio Gonzalez from the Immigration Hub, former senior advisor to Kamala Harris, and many more of your calls. This is America. Are we ready? Tonight, are we ready, finally, for comprehensive immigration reform, 844-745-TALK. Stay with us. It's America, Are We Ready? Our Thursday night national call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. I'm Brian Lehrer. We're taking your calls on the question, America, are we finally ready for bipartisan comprehensive immigration reform? If you vote Republican or Democrat, if you're native-born or immigrant, if you're documented or un, our call-in number is 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. As we continue with Sergio Gonzalez, Executive Director of the Immigration Hub Advocacy Group and former senior advisor to Senator Kamala Harris before she got that recent promotion. I think that Rodolfo in Minneapolis, who was a little distracted a minute ago, is ready now. Rodolfo, are you there? Yes, I am. Good afternoon or good evening. Good evening. Um, now, I gave I you like credit for, for working before when you weren't there, but then somebody told me you were actually in a fast food drive through Is that right? That is correct. I was in a McDonald's <laughs> drive through and I apologize for that. Just to um, be completely transparent, and, but I hope you enjoy your dinner. Go ahead. Okay. Like, like you said, my name is Rodolfo Trujillo. Um, I'm here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I'm a native Texan-born, uh, fourth or fifth generation native Texan-born um, <clears throat> Republican by party. But it is necessary, and it's time. It's been since 1986 since we had an amnesty, uh, or as they called it back then in 1986. I was part of that. Um, I, I taught English to the, uh, to the people that were adjusting their status um, through the immigration reform. It was required 40 hours. I was able to help a lot of people through that, through the schools down in a, a small town called Brownsville, Texas. Um, and, and, and it's necessary that we do have this, this, this adjustment or, or this reform or whatever you want to call it. It's necessary. We have approximately 12 million probably more than that because knowing um, there's some people that are never been accounted for. Um, and and it, it, it's a social problem that we have and an economic problem. We can't keep people underground for so long. Um, and, and it's a heavy load to carry, to, 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 to be undocumented, to, to know here in, in Minneapolis or any other state or any other city that, that even a traffic ticket, if you're pulled over, can go really, really bad for you. Um, I have a business. Um, there's three of us that are native-born Americans, eight or nine that, that I was able, and thank God I was able to get an, an H-1B visas. Um, these people work hard. I mean, I get emotional because you, you don't know how hard the, the, some of these people work. Um, they're good people, and, and we need to get them... We need to get them from, and, and, and they don't, I don't want them to be underground. It, it's just not right. It's socially, it's not right. These people need, you know, some of them are, are paying their taxes through iTunes, a lot of them. 
A lot of people don't even do taxes, but we need to get them. We need to get them legalized. If, if, if I mean, it's time for the Republicans to come and and being Republican is time for the Republicans to come to the table. And, they and Rodolfo, need to, for to you, having hand. having grown up, as you say, along the Texas-Mexico border, how do you stop the next wave? If that's supposed to be the deal, legalize the 11 million or whatever well, the real number is, but let's stop this from happening again to the out of control extent it did. Well, well, the wall, the wall is, 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 is not going to help. You know, I, I was born and raised in Brownsville, Texas. You know, that, that wall is one, it's not continual. Number two, it invades people's properties, their backyards. Um, and, and, and so, people so what's the alternative? You know, Alternative? Oh, technology. Technology. We need to get better technology to, 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 to work on our behalf uh, and stop spending money on walls. And walls is just a political solution. It's not, it's, not, it's not the real solution. Number two, we need to make these countries, Latin America, and, we need to in, and, and people need to invest in these countries. We need to get their economy stronger. And I understand it's really hard. It's really hard to change mentalities. Um, growing up along the border, I understand um, it's hard. It's going to be hard to change these, these governments to, to start thinking economic and, and stop and stop the problems that they have with corruption, violence and, and, and whatnot. Right. But we need to do that. And we need R- to stop uh, it that R- way. R- um, Rodolfo, thank you so much for checking in. We really appreciate it. And with your experience growing up in southern Texas to the last point that he made, Sergio, I see the bill would spend $4 billion on Central American countries to improve their economies to reduce the demand for immigration. Can $4 billion, which by the trillion-dollar standards of today's expenditures is actually not very much, really turn around multiple countries' economies enough to really reduce immigration? Well, first of all, I just want to start by um, really, I, I could not have said it uh, almost better than Rodolfo. And uh, I really appreciate uh, his remarks and, you know, obvious knowledge on this issue, both from personal experience and on policy. Um, so Rodolfo, if you ever are interested in going into the realm of immigration policy, we'd welcome you. Um, secondly, uh, I would say that the Biden bill is transformational in the way that it approaches the issue of migration at our southern border, because it is really one of the first major proposals from a president that recognizes that migration is a natural phenomenon that exists exists both in the world and at our border. And number two, that we are not going to be able to address migration from the Northern Triangle, unless we actually address the root causes that are causing people to flee the Northern Triangle. And by the Northern Triangle, I mean Central America. As Rodolfo pointed out, there's a lot of violence and corruption and people are literally fleeing for their lives. You know, and Representative Sanchez, who was, who was on before myself, pointed out that you know, any parent that chooses to send their child alone on a journey to another foreign country away from them in a, in a very dangerous and perilous journey is not making that decision lightly. And these decisions are made under extraordinarily difficult and heartbreaking circumstances. And we've seen very heartbreaking cases 
where lives are at risk, where there are cases of sexual assault and rape, um, where there are cases of attempted murder. And so what I would say is, to your question, Brian, the $4 billion is a really important starting place, but also the bill does a number of other things to start setting up regional processing centers. So like, let's make sure that people can apply and be processed for asylum in their home country rather than having to make the very dangerous journey. But there are people that are gonna still make the dangerous journey in the interim. And rather than taking a punitive approach and treating these refugees as criminals, we should be ensuring that we are building a system that is rooted in humanity, that is rooted in being functional, and that is rooted in being fair. Terrence in Riverdale, Georgia. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Terrence. Yes. Good evening. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Yeah, I listen to your program every chance I get. Thank you. My thing is this. Uh, I, I think it's on the Statue of Liberty where it says, Tennessee, your humble masses, yearning to be free, da-da-da-da-da. And to me, it seems like that, that tenant has gone completely out the window. Uh, we need immigration, sure. I mean, it, that, that's, everybody here is an immigrant. But to stop just one particular group from migrating is, is, is asinine to me. I'm a Democratic, I'm a Democrat, a conservative Democrat. And I don't know if there's such an animal, but I am. Um, you know, I, I support the reform bill. However, but throwing billions of dollars at, 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 at corruption in other countries, it's only going to make the guys who are receiving the money corrupt. That's what it seems like to me, because that money will not be used for the purpose that it was sent. Did you and also want to make a point about that, uh, the average age in this country? I think my screener said something like that. Yes, I did. Yeah, the average, yeah I think the average age in this country. Are we still on? Am I still on? I can still hear you. We've Brian. lost our caller? All right, yeah. we've lost our caller. Uh, but, Sergio, we still have you, right? Yes, you still have me. Okay. So this gives me an opportunity to ask another question that I wanted to ask because I know there are many other provisions in the comprehensive immigration package that we haven't touched on. We've really been sticking to the basics but there's allowing foreign students who earn PhDs in math and science fields to stay here without numerical caps. There's allowing immediate family members of green card holders to get into the country more quickly, which means Biden is going completely the opposite way of Trump on what Trump would call chain migration, family reunification, uh, the Democrats would call it. Um, so is there any provision other than the ones we've been talking about so far that you would like to highlight from this package? Um, I mean, I think those are some of the big ones. Uh, as we've talked about, there is the addressing the root causes. And I just want to address the, the last caller. I, I really do on, on two points. One is that um, he's absolutely right. It's not like we, we cannot just hand over $4 billion to the governments, right? There has to be an interagency plan about how that money is spent and how it ties to a larger aid package with expectations and goals and metrics to measure um, how, how the progress towards those goals. And also to directly help people who are suffering. 
Um, some of the other important pieces of the bill is, like I said, the bill is innovative and transformational by rightly acknowledging that we need to work with border communities to manage the border. And rather than putting up useless and asinine walls that don't work, we should be working with local border communities to have a system at the border that acknowledges the critical role that the border plays to our economy and the trade of goods. Um, there's also, like you said, some other really important legal provisions um, that would make our legal immigration system, especially for families, work better. And, and this is a really important point because, you know, oftentimes um, an argument is, well, we, we, people need to come here legally. We shouldn't give legal status and a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants because people should, should come the legal way. The legal way is an absolute mess. And the backlog, in some cases, is decades, decades and decades and decades. So imagine you want to reunite with your family member and you're looking at like a 20 to 30 year wait time. So you're 30 years old and maybe you can reunite with your family member when you're 60. Um, and so the bill does a lot to address that backlog to make it easier to legally immigrate. And then there's also some really important reforms to the court system because the court system also is a complete mess. Um, and so we need to make sure that we have a system that is efficient and that is fair and that is actually rooted in justice. I want to play a clip of um, President Biden last month and heads up control room. This is not the CNN clip. Uh, this is the other Biden clip from his announcement. Um, a clip of President Biden last month announcing three executive orders on immigration. The first order was to get serious about reuniting children and parents who were separated at the border by the Trump administration. The second order I'm signing is creating a comprehensive regional framework to address the causes of migration and to manage migration throughout the North and Central America and to provide a safe and orderly processing of asylum seekers at the United States border. And the third order I'm signing is restoring the faith in our legal immigration system and strengthening immigration and inclusion efforts for new Americans. Can you talk about that last one, that strengthening the legal immigration system, uh, including inclusion efforts for new Americans? Do you know what he meant by that? I do. Um, so this is a really important part of immigration reform and immigration policy, um, because we also have many, many immigrants who are living in this country who have been here a long time, who are contributing to their communities, who are part of our economy and um, and are eligible to apply for citizenship, but have not applied for citizenship. And so there's a lot of work that needs to go into making sure that, and this is something that's actually very welcomed by Republicans and Democrats, um, especially local and state officials, because it is, it, is, it is providing resources and actually making it a priority to support efforts that, um, that encourage people to apply for citizenship and to better integrate into their local communities. And there's really been some great work done 
at the local level and in the states around integration and inclusion of immigrants, right? Recognizing that they are a value to our community and it is better when people are citizens and able to fully contribute as citizens and participate in our democracy than to be in a different status. But let me get one more caller in here before we run out of time. And it's Sudalat, who told our screener he's a Somali refugee living in Minneapolis. Sudalat, you're on America, Are We Ready? And I'm sorry to say we've got about 30 seconds for you before we run out of time. Hi. Oh, thank you. I'm Sudo Alad from Minneapolis, as you said. Yeah, I want to just say the Third Second uh, immigra- Comprehensive Immigration Reform. It's a uh, 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 way forward for America, and that's what we expect uh, from uh, the new administration. And it's something that will help not only America, but around the world in terms of uh, tackling the refugee crisis and the immigration problem that we have. And thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you very much for making it. Um, as a last thought from you, you know, the caller from Georgia before his line went down was starting to talk about the average age in America. And there are countries like Japan around the world that are industrialized countries like us that are losing their ability to support their seniors, their social security systems, things like that. Because we've had more immigrants, we have a younger population even though we have the relatively low birth rates of an industrialized country. Um, For people who talk about the deficit all the time, that would seem like an argument to have a lot of immigration. We have 20 seconds left for a last thought from you. I think that, well, first of all, I just want to say that I think it's very, uh, I'm very happy that the last call was from a Somali immigrant because black immigrants are oftentimes not recognized and invisible um, as a as a um, incredible uh, and vibrant community within our country. And so, first of all, we need to make sure that we understand that bigotry has pervaded, just like it's pervaded our nation's justice system and across our society, it has also pervaded our nation's immigration system. And unfortunately, that's going to have to be the last word, but that's a good thought to end on. So that's it for this week for America Are We Ready, our Thursday night call-in series for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. Sergio, thank you very much. Thank you. Sergio Gonzalez, Executive Director of the Immigration Hub, and we thank Congresswoman Linda Sanchez before him. Listeners, thank you, as always, for calling from around the country and for listening. If you're interested, I have a daily national politics podcast called Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. Download some of those if you like. Or join me back here next Thursday night, Biden in office, day 44, for America. Are we ready?